something very beautiful about two communities coming together. The world community and, and Lash. And finding those things, those words that unite us. On one side, there's cont contemplation and Lawrence led us a lot into that contemplation and the other is encountering. And what unites both, there are two words, metanoia and silence. Listen. Listen to the Lord knocking at the door. Listening to the inner voice. Listening, tell me your story. A meeting, an encounter. And the operative word also for both of us is metanoia. And Lawrence brought up that a lot. A change of direction, a change of heart. Go deeper through the silence. Change. And in that change, there's someone becoming conscious of the cracks. And we had those words of Adam, I was scared, I was frightened because I was naked, they were full of cracks, so I hid. I hid in order to prevent people seeing the cracks. So the metanoia is discovering the crack, going down, and be, being wounded by our woundedness. And then there's the promise of Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll pray the Father and he will send you another paracletus to be with you forever, the spirit of truth that the world does not know. We defined or translated paracletus, the one who answers the cry. So these are the words that have been coming around the cry. Metanoia. A change of heart, which in reality, and we see this with everything Jesus, it's about humility. Don't seek the best place. Seek, become like children. There's the warfare of being the best, the most recognized. It isn't that. It's to live as messengers of peace in a world of war. We just have our place. We're not called to change all sorts of things. We're called to be in that movement which is the plan of God, which is to bring all people together in peace. For Jesus is our peace. Out of the two, he has brought into one. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility through his flesh. He has killed hatred. Metanoia taking the downward road, going deeper into ourselves. And as Etty Hilson says, we're a well. And we have to go through the garbage. We have to go through all those cracks, discover the cracks, as we go down to drink of the waters, to meet God. 
We talked about Francis and the metanoia. He had aimed to be the best, acclaimed in Assisi. He went through that broken period of darkness where he touched his own. And then there was the meeting of the littlest and the lost, those who were seen off as a sign of evil, the lepers. He went from wanting to be up at the top, a knight of armor, with armor, and he met the bottom. And then he said, metanoia. When I left them, I was changed. I no longer wanted that spirit to be better. When we want to be better than the others, we isolate ourselves. But as we go down to meet God, because this is the, mess, the message, the mystery of our God, we'll be doing talking about that tomorrow. The discovery of the Word who became flesh and knelt before us to wash our feet. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus who, whose greatest pain, I can't say the greatest pain, but a great pain where his friends who said, he's disappointed us. We thought he was going to liberate our people. He has disappointed us. It's a very touching text in Isaiah. Isaiah is somebody who's always very important to get to know. And in Isaiah 56, there's a prefiguration of Jesus. And it's 53 Isaiah, the suffering servant. It's very moving, the suffering servant, because he was too broken. I didn't want to look at him. He was a man of suffering. He had no form or comeliness that we could look at him. He was despised, rejected, a man of pain, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Today, there are all those who are crucified in our world. But the story goes on. It's through his wounds that we are healed. What is this? We didn't dare look at him because he was a man of sorrows, no beauty. The blood, the face, broken. We esteemed him not, we thought he was punished. But then the story goes on, it's through his wounds that we are healed. Because of his pain, that we have found peace. What is this about? Through his wounds, we are healed. Maybe that says something about about Francis. It was through the wounds of the leper that something changed. He began to realize that 
to be close to the suffering servant. It's important to be close to those who are the most rejected. Through his wounds, we are healed. As we begin to enter into meditation and we discover the forces within us preventing us to go into that world of silence, to a meeting with God at the bottom of the well, and that we have to go through all the garbage, the pain. And we talked yesterday in Lawrence, fidelity to the meeting in prayer. Contemplation. That says something about time. The book came out the other day by John Swinton, who works a lot with people with disabilities. And it's about how living with people who are broken, the sense of time changes. We can be people who are rushing around because we have no time, so we have to go quickly. But something about meditation is to slow down. Not to let bubble up all the things that I have to do or not do. Time. For Francis, he took time. And you remember that story of that woman from Australia, the dying young man who was in prostitution. You always wanted to change me, but you never wanted to meet me. Take time to listen to the story. So there's something about time. And prayer is to take time and to remain. In the Gospel of John, there's a, a beautiful word which comes in continually. In Greek, it's menine. And the word means to abide. It has, you can have different translations, abide, remain, stay, rest. But it's about abiding, being there. And it's in a way the, the operative word in the Gospel of John. Remain in my love. Remain. Don't keep running to accomplish things that have to be done, yes, remain. That is at the heart of the reality of life. To remain with Pauline, even when she's screaming, because her cry is a cry, does anybody want to remain with me? Does anyone want to stay? Because to love is bringing together, being together. Being together with God, remain. So we have these words, these operative words, which are important for our communities to remain, to be silent. Metanoia, we're on a road. It takes, it takes time. It takes time for that metanoia, for that change, so that I can go deeper. I'm going to read you now another text of Isaiah. And it came, comes up because last night we were talking about fasting, you remember? What was the fasting when Jesus was there? What is the fasting 
when he's not there? Well, you know, there's a very good answer. And there again, it's our, our master, Isaiah, our teacher. Because he really asks that question. He says, what is the fast I want? So the question last night is, what is the fast that I want? And he's talking, the word of God coming through Isaiah is talking about legalism and love. The word legalism came up last night. I mean, do we fast so that people see that, you know, I'm not, all the monks are not drinking wine or whatever it is. But he said, what is the fast that I want? So he answers, asks the question, and then he answers it. This is the fast that I want. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the thongs of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your brothers and sisters in humanity. And do you know what happens if you do that fast? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing, metanoia, shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness your, shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the pointing of the finger, speaking badly about people, if you pour yourself out to the hungry, if you satisfy the desires of the afflicted, <coughs> then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your sadness will be transformed as in the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire with good things and give you health, make your bones strong. So the fast. And Lawrence has helped us to see that, that being together in prayer is not cloistering ourselves but somewhere being deep, learning inside of our prayer to bring in the enemy and to cherish the sacred innocence, the primal innocence of the enemy. Because the whole of the mystery of Jesus in this metanoia is the transformation of our aggressivity the transformation of our fears. I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, speak well of those who speak badly of you, pray for those who persecute you. That's a metanoia, complete change. Because we all know that in front of the enemy, we have our defense mechanisms, we protect ourselves. And here there's something new, a metanoia. That's why I mentioned yesterday the way Buddha looks at it. He wrote this five centuries before Jesus. There's a whole prophetic elements in Buddha. In your prayer, to look kindly at yourself, to look kindly and hold in your heart those that are close to you, 
hold in your heart the enemy. Because it'll be in your heart as you hold the enemy that you will be transformed and he can be transformed also. The words of Lita Bassett, how can I look kindly at a jihadist? Have you ever thought of praying for him? So here is the transformation of our aggressivity. I mentioned yesterday the violence that is in me. Still have to work at it. The anguish that is there. The primal, <coughs> the primal wound. Yes, we have to keep working so that that metanoia, so that the presence of God, so that the paracletus, the one who answers the cry, springing up from my woundedness, my cry. So somewhere in that metanoia, the meeting. I want to finish all my these little talks, but to come back to say a word of our world today and what God is calling us to be in this extraordinary plan of God to bring people together in love. Our world is in a huge movement, evolution. I began yesterday morning with the evolution with Adam, the cry of Adam. I was frightened because I was naked, so I hid, because I didn't want anyone to see my poverty, so I must show that I'm better than others. And then this movement through Genesis, the Tower of Babel, Noah, the covenant, the discovery of Abraham. Wow, what a man. But also the two children of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, who so many see as the, the founder somewhere in a mysterious way of Islam. And then the, the prophets, Moses, the liberator, and we went on, and then Jesus. I want now to look at the world, not from the Genesis, but just from things that you and I have seen over the last 50 years. Not all of you have seen the 50 years. I was in Papua New Guinea some time ago. Amazing country. Three million people. And I was told there were 734 languages. Dialects, language, I don't know. Anyway, in when, but when they talk about their village, they say, my talk. My village is not trolley broy, it's my talk. We're defined by the language. Amazing. So what is this mystery of humanity? How did it all begin? And when we have the chance, like the world community of Lash, and we have people coming from far away, Fiji or Japan or China, Mongolia, all the way up to the people in the first people of Canada, the States, the aboriginals, and then down in Mexico and further on and so how did it all come about? It's amazing. 
the difference. Everybody the same and everybody terribly different. But everybody the same. So, how did it begin? And I imagine in Papua New Guinea, there was a small community and it grew. And then there wasn't enough food, so they had to go over the mountains and over the forests and start again. And then gradually, over time, it grew. The Ivory Coast, there are 839, no, sorry, 189 different languages, dialects, call them what you like. But this extraordinary evolution of humanity and still at the same time, the thirst of God, that they be one. So Papua New Guinea had just began and people broke off and they went on to another bit of land and it grew up and eventually it became a country, difficulty today, struggling through and then communication with people, the discoveries of boats and ships and armaments and commerce. Gradually, people started coming together. But then also the discovery of the power, the struggle for power. And then the beginning, which goes back far away, from Egypt to Perse, the Greeks, the Romans, and so on, the, the empires. The empires which wanted to show that they were stronger than others and that they would give their culture to that country. So we have the colonialism. At the beginning of the last century, it was decided that the children of the native people of Canada should all be put in residential schools so that they should not learn the language, their own language, but they should become good Canadians. We must change people. And then the, those people were called savages. So the history of our universe, the history of colonialism, that we will win through power. And so you found the rivalry empires. England, France, Germany, Holland, all the rest, Portuguese. And then it moves to the States and to China and so We're in this continual, this world of wanting power. And that is still there. And it's frightening. But there's also something else. There's another movement, another secret movement. And believe it or not, it came after the beginning somewhere began in 1945-47, where we were shaken all, shaken, everybody was shaken because we discover Auschwitz, we discovered all those camps of extermination. We discovered the atomic bomb. I remember being a young naval officer then and hearing about this, this bomb. A hundred thousand people killed in one moment. So where is the road to peace? What is it that is, is being prepared? Something very important in 47 was the direct declaration by United Nations that every person is important. Not just the groups, but the person. That has opened the door of many things those they called savages in the north of Canada and elsewhere. They're not savages. 
They are people who have an immense vision of ecology and the land. Each one is precious. The beginning of discovering that people with disabilities were no good should be put away. They are people. A vision of discovery of the person. That each person is precious. Each person is a child of God. Each person carries within him or her a presence of God. Something very beautiful. The announcement of personhood. Homosexuals who were condemned and still in some countries of Africa, imprisoned and condemned to death. People with mental sickness, even though they're mentally sick, they have a spiritual life. So discovery, the danger of humanity had been we must have power. And then that vision that women must vote, that women have their place, so there's a gradual change. And then came Vatican II. But Vatican II said that what is important in every person, every person, there's a secret sanctuary where God speaks to each one. And then with Vatican II opening up that in every religion there are things of God. So there's a whole movement of bringing people together. And then in Assisi, 86, the Pope brought together leaders of all religions. There's a movement there. A movement of togetherness. It's not a question of being stronger than others. It's not a question of saying, I am right and you are wrong. I'm not there to change you. I'm there to meet you in your difference. Francis crossed over the line and he met the sultan. He met a man praying five times a day. And the operative word was the merciful one. Things are changing and discovering that the road is not for one culture to impose itself upon others. I am right and you are wrong. I'm not there to change you. I'm there to meet you. And meeting you, helping you to discover that you're more beautiful than you dare believe. Because in you, in every one, there's that primal innocence, that beauty, which is in you, a presence of God. Yes, it has been covered over in me, in you. But if we can meet each other, if we can meet each other and discover that you are more precious than you can believe, and then we can come back and discover that little boy, remember, that I mentioned on the first evening. Don't worry, mummy. Jesus loves me as I am. My uncle would like me to change. But Jesus loves me as I am. There is the secret. And we're in a world that is moving step by step to the discovery 
that in each person there's something incredibly beautiful. In each person there's this presence of God. And so we're in this world where the tourism and the interchange of people and cultures and all this. The refugees, people with disabilities, people getting old. The operative word is to meet. To meet in the secret of our prayer. And that is vital. To hold, to hold in the deepest part of our hearts the place where God is. In the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my word and my Father will love you. And we will come in you and make in you our home. We'll make in you my dwelling place, our dwelling place. We find again that word menai. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, my Father will love you and we shall come and make in you our dwelling place. We will dwell in you. One time Etty Hilsom was in the camp Westerbach in Holland. A camp where there were 10,000 Jews. And every Tuesday, a thousand would be transported to the horror of Auschwitz, every Tuesday. And then another thousand would be brought in from different parts of Holland. And one day, Somebody said to Etty, we must pray. And Etty's reflection was, yes, but do you think God can do something for us today? You see the Gestapo, the SS, all that inside of the camp. I didn't think that God is going to do very much today to help us here in the camp. And then she adds, but maybe God needs us. Is it we that need God, or does God need us? And then she says, God is looking for places where he can live. And where he wants to live is in your heart. Because your heart can become a tabernacle, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because our world has a tendency to push God away. So she says, my mission in the camp is to help people to discover the beauty of their hearts, which is a tabernacle. And you are precious, because God wants to, to live in you. God needs God needs that presence, that place where God can come and rest. 
in the foyer in which I live, there's doodle. Crazy sort of guy. He went to the cardiologist, and when he came back, we were at the meal, and how did it go, Andre? Yeah, well, okay. Well, what did the doctor see in your heart? He said, well, he saw Jesus. And then we said to him, what does Jesus do in your heart? And he said, he rests. He rests. His resting place is in your heart. Amazing. That is the secret. That is the secret of the whole mystery of, of meditation. God needs to find that place of rest. I'm always touched by some of the parables of the, of the mercy in Luke. One parable, which as you all know, is the lost sheep, that 99 sheep are okay, but there's one that's got lost. So the, the shepherd goes and leaves the 99, probably with pretty good dogs who are going to help, and seeks the lost sheep. And then it says that when the shepherd has found the sheep, the lost sheep, puts it on his, and he celebrates. He goes to all the friends, I've found the lost sheep. Nothing is said about the sheep being happy. <laughs> I mean, you would have thought that the sheep goes blah and expresses his joy. But it's God who expresses his joy. God is happy. God is happy when he discovers that his temple is in your heart as in my heart. And God rejoices. The glory of God is that you bear much fruit. The glory of God is that you the disciples, you bear much fruit, that you give life, that you be living, and that your hearts be the temple of God. The extraordinary thing, our mission, is to have hearts where God can come and live. And it's a long metanoia. It's a long change. And it's little by little as we learn to love as Jesus wants. Road of forgiveness. Living in community and we walk on each other's feet. Forgiveness. Here is the heart of everything to forgive and to be forgiven. So we're all called in this world to discover something new, the whole reality of meeting people who are different, meeting them at the heart of our hearts where we cherish the secret innocence of the enemy and pray a mission of meditation, meeting God, but meeting God also in the ones that wound us and hurt us. A mission of peace and in Lash, a mission of peace, bringing into the family, the human family, 
those that were excluded because they were seen as no good and as a sign of the punishment of God. But they are part of the family. They are part of the family. Nobody is to be excluded. And somewhere we're all learnt to welcome the one, to meet the one who has been excluded. And it's not always easy to live with the excluded. I remember there was an assistant here in Lash who was thinking of being committed for life in Lash. The parents, yeah, were furious. <laughs> what? With all your diplomas, you're going to stay with people like that? Interesting words like, like that. So, people can feel ashamed or family don't want it. To live with the excluded is never easy. It's a metanoia, a change from a vision of just being amongst ourselves, good groups and people, to discover something else. But a beautiful book came out recently. The title is Tears Have No Color. It's the story of an Israeli woman whose son was killed by Muslim snipers. And there's a meeting of this Israeli woman with a Muslim woman whose son was killed by the Israeli army. And these two women coming together Two cultures, two cultures divided by that wall with a few checkpoints, 150 kilometers long, eight meters up, but they met. Difficult meeting, two cultures, Palestinian and Israeli, but they met. But in, as they came closer together, united through tears, something also happened. The Muslim lady was seen a bit as a traitor by Palestinians because she was always going out with this Israeli. To be a person of peace Sometimes we have to die to our own culture. We need humility. We have to accept that maybe other people don't want that. Mission of peace. A mission of peace, that secret mission of peace, as we hold in our hearts the enemy and see in the enemy that primal innocence. Because we believe that each person is precious. That that man in the street is precious. And it's as we come together, our defense mechanisms begin to drop and we discover communion communion, being together. And there's something beautiful in our time together that every day at the Eucharist we have that moment of communion. To be in communion with Jesus so that I can be in communion with all the brothers and sisters of Jesus of the world. Whatever their culture, religion, and whatever it is, the Word became flesh, has become a brother to every person. So there's something 
beautiful as our retreats as we come together and we discover that we are united in the silence of listening or in the silence of prayer. We're together in the metanoia. We need each other. In life, we need to pray together, to strengthen that yearning to be open to the ones who are difficult, to live community, to live forgiveness. And as we go deeper in prayer, then as we get closer to the source of all life, then our hearts begin to open up and we can begin to pray for those who are the enemy. Because today, the message is about meeting people in prayer and together. Not just confronted by groups of people, Group, we can always be frightened of a group. But in that group, there's you. There's a person. There's a mother who weeps. There's a person with disabilities. There's somebody caught up in addictions or whatever it is to meet. Take time. Tell me your story. And I want to listen to your story. And through listening to your story, revealing that you're more beautiful than you dare believe. You're not just part of a group. You're a person. And you're precious. And you're loved by God. So our two communities bonded by the silence that we need, by the listening and the presence of God. If someone loves me, they'll follow my commandments, and my Father will love them, and we shall come, and we will make our abode, our dwelling place in you. There is the secret. We have become the dwelling place of God. And as Dudul says, what does Jesus do in your heart? He rests. He dwells. <laughs>